For over 30 years, Nick and Ruth Ripken have served Christ, obeying His command to share Jesus around the world. With their three children, they spent time in Malawi, South Africa, and Kenya. Now they journey globally among people who face increasing persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. Listen as Nick speaks at Southcliff's recent missions conference. I am so glad to be here and uh, your staff and others who have made this weekend possible have just loved on us and, and uh, just made us family really, really quick. And therefore, I, I do feel like that we can go really deep this morning. And I'd like for you to look up in your Bibles, if you would. Matthew chapter uh, 11 is going to be our focus. And it can be, if you allow it, uh, to really be life-changing. Because just to be uh, clearly honest with you, there's something that, that I want to, that I need to say to you, and, and that is the altar, the altar of God is open to you. Now, uh, if, if you knew probably what we knew, that would be one of those times where you want to stand up and shout and praise God because Ruth and I can't say that to about uh, uh, 70% of the world. It wouldn't be the truth. Uh, they, they've had no access to Jesus. There's, there's about 3 billion people that they have not a single verse of the Bible, not a spiritual song, not a single missionary or worker among them. Uh, uh, they're, they have absolutely no access uh, to the kingdom of God. And we could not work, uh, we could not walk in their midst and say to them with any honesty whatsoever, thank God, God's altar is open to you. Now, I'm not really talking about a church building. I'm certainly not just talking about this space that is in front of me, though for me, uh, this is a holy, holy, holy location because the altar of God is wherever you take Jesus and you open your heart to others and those who are outside the kingdom of God, those who are broken, those who are abused, you open the altar of God uh, to others just by expressing your love for Jesus Christ. That's what John the Baptist had done. What the Jews had accomplished is that the kingdom of God had shrunk and shrunk and shrunk to where you could only access God through one person a high priest in one location and seriously at one day of the year. And and, and so John the Baptist had opened an altar to God for the forgiveness of sins out in the desert and just thousands of people had gone out to him. Now John's in jail. Why? He robbed the bank. No. He, uh, he, uh, embezzled money, didn't pay his taxes. He said something uh, ugly uh, about overthrowing the Roman Empire. No, Uh, you see where Ruth and I have lived for most of our married lives for for over 35 years, uh, where we have lived, you are as likely to be in prison, to be arrested, 
to be beaten by the authorities, to have your property confiscated, you are as likely to be incarcerated for being good as you are for being bad. Now, if you're like me, I grew up in Kentucky. Uh, we now have come back because of health reasons and, and have our first home uh, in Kentucky. And, and generally the people around me, my brother's a retired state policeman and a retired Jefferson County policeman. All of my American life, and even now it's in my psyche, that if you are in jail in this country, it's because you deserve to be there. You have little experience that in much of the world, you are as likely to be arrested for being good as you are uh, for being bad. Wow. And, 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 and a lot of this is due to the fact that your brothers and sisters have opened an altar to God in the marketplace, in their homes, in their house churches, uh, uh, 40% of every uh, uh, house church leader in East Asia. You're talking about uh, elders, deacons. You're talking about pastors. You're talking about evangelists. You're talking about men, women, old, young, rural, urban, highly educated, oral communicators. 40% are in prison right now. Why? Because they're good, godly men and women doing God's work in prison and some of them for multiple times. And so this is the situation of John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus had, had changed in chapter 10, the ground rules, because he reminded his disciples of their spiritual, physical, government, military heritage. And he said to them, for most of our history, we have depended upon our strong army, our shields, our stones, our spears. We have trusted in uh, uh, our government way of life, though now that has been dispersed and taken from us. We, we believed that, that, that we believed in our government, the might of our military, and Jesus said, it's not working. It's not working. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the ground rules. And in Matthew 10, he says one of the most, uh, if you were honest with yourselves, wacky things that anybody would say. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, whenever, have you ever heard of a, of a sheep uh, winning a fight with a wolf? It doesn't happen, does it? And yet Jesus said, this is how we're going to begin and how we're going to run the kingdom of God. And, and, and he said, even he goes and does stuff that just doesn't make sense. If you were honest about it, he said, not only this, uh, because you're going to go out as sheep among wolves, I'm going to let them arrest you, put you in jail, put you in prison. Take you before the religious authorities, take you before the secular authorities. And in Matthew 10, they said, and they're going to do bad things to you. They're going to abuse you and put you in jail. They're going to take your lives. And Jesus said, I'm allowing it to happen because your arrest, both by the military or by the government or, or, by, or by the, uh, the sacred uh, uh, priestly police and, and, and their world 
you don't have access to them. And by your arrest, by your incarceration, by your torture, by your beatings, you're going to be able to have access to them and be a witness to them. I'm going to allow your persecution to give you access to the highest places of society that otherwise you wouldn't have. 70% of Christians practicing their faith this day. That means that they have believed in Christ and they share Christ uh, with others and they do it uh, uh, in season, out of season. They do it with family. They do it with neighbors. Uh, uh, I have interviewed, I have set and interviewed over a dozen uh, policemen whose job was to arrest and torture Christians. And they came to Christ by being loved by the ones that they were persecuting. We're talking about now. We're talking about our lifetime. We're talking about uh, the, the years that we spent among unreached peoples and in, in, in persecution for decades. Uh, what is happening, what happened in the Bible is happening in the world that God is giving his children access uh, uh, to places that they normally wouldn't go through their persecution. And, and, and it is... They, they would not ask you. They would, matter of fact, they said, don't you dare in Eastern Europe, they told me, go back to America and tell our stories in such a way that the church people there, the followers of Jesus feel sorry for us because never have we felt so close to Jesus as when our faith was costing us something. Wow. So John the Baptist is in prison. Why? Because he told Herod, you can't commit adultery with your brother's wife. And as he has prepared the way for the Lord, he's, he's in prison. He's, he's, he's hours, no more than some days from having his head removed from his shoulders. And John the Baptist, the first time that I read this story, it really broke my heart, really upset me because I thought when the authorities arrested him and did bad things to him. It would just make him stronger, make him more determined. It would make his shoulders square and his back straighter. And yet when he knows that his life is soon to be taken from him, he says, this, just broke my heart because he sent his disciples to Jesus wanting to know, are you the Messiah? Oh my goodness, he baptized Jesus. My goodness, he said, here's somebody uh, that takes away the sins of the world. Here is the one that I'm not worthy uh, to unlace his shoes. He heard the voice of God saying, this is my son with whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And now he's in prison and he wants to know from Jesus, are you the Messiah or do we wait for somebody else? I was so new in the faith and what we know from believers now in persecution that when, especially the first time, that they are arrested, they are tortured, when they think that their lives are in jeopardy and they may not survive that day, the one thing they want to know is, is, our, is what is happening for them, to them, is for who Jesus is and not some secondary reasons. When their backs are against the wall, they want someone, if possible, to look them in the heart 
and say to them, I am proud of you because what is happening to you is happening because you love Jesus and you shared him with someone else. 70% of your brothers and sisters around the globe are in environments of persecution. 30% of those in East Asia, 40% in East Asia, uh, pastors, deacons, elders, uh, whatever, uh, leaders of the music, uh, preachers, uh, are in prison right now uh, because they were good. And what they are doing is what I know that happens to you it can happen every day of the week if you wanted to, but even especially this morning, what they are doing in the prisons of East Asia is saying to those, we can set you free and they're opening an altar of God in the prisons of East Asia, saying to the people here, uh, whatever brought you to this place, you can leave here with eternal life. Uh, they said to me, uh, Dr. Nick, Prison is our theological seminary. Now that you're with us, how many degrees would you like to have? I said, I'm good. You know, Ruth, Ruth needs me at home and kids need me. I, I, I don't need any East Asian uh, uh, degrees right now. Probably couldn't live through it. But, but what I'm trying to do is two things. Really three things. But one is I've already done it. Uh, I want you to remind you as strongly as I can that the altar of God is open for you. And, and, and that's, uh, if I were to say that to 70% of the people on the planet, I would be lying, not telling the truth. Uh, I, 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 I should be held accountable for saying something that's not true. But for you, what, what I'm wanting to do two things this morning, and that is, I've already begun it, is open a window that you can look at and see what God is doing among the nations. And secondly, uh, turn that window at the close of this message into a mirror and look, let you look at yourself the way believers in persecution look about, look at you, what they think about you, what they feel about you, and I'm going to let you listen to that conversation. Uh, because John sent to Jesus the question, are you the Messiah? Now, just quickly, if somebody asks you that question, church, they say they know that you go to this church. They know that you call yourselves a Christian. Uh, and they ask you, uh, just prove to me, describe for me. How you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What would you say? What words would you use? Well, I was interested in that. And it, it really shook me a little bit. John's question shook me, but Jesus' answer really astounded me. Because he said in, in chapter 11, starting in, in, in verse 2, he, he said, uh, you go back to John and report to him what you hear, what you see, what you're tasting, what you're touching. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. You know what Jesus was saying? 
Listen to me, church. Jesus is saying not that the kingdom of God, the altar is open for you inside of the temple or the synagogue. He's not saying that if you want to access the kingdom of God, you've got to sit before the priests and the scholars and, and especially be there on the high and holy days uh, in your temple. He said that my Messiahship is described, is discussed, is proven by what I and my people that follow me do in the marketplace of life. Oh my goodness. What is, what is this this morning? This is us celebrating what God has done in our homes and our offices and our schoolrooms, what God has done through us with our neighbors and our friends and colleagues or maybe just some strangers that have asked us a question and we have opened up an altar of God for them and see we've witnessed what God does for them, through them, to them. And we come here as believers to worship because of what we have seen Jesus do through us, with us in the marketplace of life. So what I want to do is you, you, you've been telling me what Jesus has been doing in your world. Let me share with you what Jesus has been doing in our world. Uh, there's about a 1.5 million Muslims on this planet. Uh, the number one way that they intersect uh, the supernatural and every people on earth have a way that they intersect with the supernatural. That's why we learn language. That's why we learn culture to discover what the spiritual world is like for them. And, and, and so the way that Muslims intersect with the supernatural is through dreams and visions. We met this young lady. Uh, there, uh, there was not another one like her in, in our, at, at that time, 30 years of ministry on the earth, especially among Muslim, especially among Muslim women, no one like her. Uh, she had a dream and she dreamed of the Bible. Do you know that every time that Muslims dream of the Bible is a blue book? Ruth and I have tried to find out for 15 years why when Muslims dream of the Bible, and when they're literate and God sends them a dream of the Bible, the cover's always blue. We've tried to find that out for 15 years. Last year, finally, last year, we found the reason why God puts a blue cover on the Bible so that Muslims can dream about it. And if you have me come back again, I'll tell you why it's a blue book. Right now, well, I just set the parameters. And so uh, she dreamed that blue book and she just told the family because dreams and visions are normal, but this was different. And she told her family about it and they didn't know what to do with it. But two weeks later, her father brought her into her office, had her lock the door, stand in front of the desk. He's a very powerful businessman, well up in the mosques and leadership. And he unwraps a burlap covered something and he has the blue book. He had locked it in his desk. And he said, my daughter, I've had this uh, for two years. 
I've been wanting to read it to see what Christians believe so I could debate them if I ever met one. Because of your dream, I'm giving it to you. She reached out to take it. He wouldn't let go of it. And he said to her with very severe uh, 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 attitude, uh, my, my daughter, this is a very dangerous book. You be very careful with it. But she wasn't. Muslims, if they are literate and God miraculously puts a Bible in their hands, they will read it one, two, three, up to five times. They will read the Bible. And, and, and in that process, somewhere in that process, uh, they will come to Christ. She read it through. And on the third time, I've not, we've not seen this. Well, I've never seen this. Without any witness, without any missionary, without anyone else there, without anyone for her to go to to ask for help, just by reading the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation three times, she gave her life to Jesus. And nobody told her it was dangerous. Nobody told her she shouldn't do it. By the time we caught up with her, she had led 30 Muslim women to Christ. They'd been baptized and in small groups. And no one does that. And the Taliban had three fatwas against her. One, because she had become a Christian, left Islam. Two, in their words, she was converting other Muslims. Three, she's working for the United Nations in human rights. And she's having the Taliban, listen to this. She was having the Taliban arrested and thrown into jail after they were tried because of what they were doing to women in the refugee camps. This young single believer is not somebody you want to mess with. She was one tough warrior for Jesus. But we had a problem. Because of the death threats, United Nations wants to send her to America where she can be safe. They want to send her to St. Louis where there's a lot of refugees from Central Asia. And I begged her not to leave. You're saying, what? We're paying you to tell people to stay and be persecuted? Well, yeah, that's what I did. She said, Uncle Nick, you know, they're, they're, they're probably going to beat me. And over some days, we looked at the scriptures. I told her stories about other believers in East Asia and other Muslim background believers, what they were doing, how they were staying faithful. And, and uh, she said, you know, they might put me in jail. I said, wow, look at the stories in the Bible. This happens all the time. And look what God does with believers when he puts them in prison. Though it's very, very, very different for a single lady. You can imagine that. She said, Uncle Nick, they might kill me. And I, we went through some Bible stories and talked about that. I said to her, I said, my sister, I don't know anybody else in the world like you. And what if the salvation of Muslim women and Muslim families depend upon you staying here and suffering for the kingdom of God? Well, let me just leave her story right there for a moment. But not like the Blue Bible. I'm going to come back to it. All right. So what God is doing uh, uh, around the world, the only places where Muslims are not coming to Christ by the thousands are the places we don't go. When Ruth and I started working with Somalis in Somalia, there was one worker like us for 1.5 million Muslims. God help us. What disobedience is that? Now, it has changed 
because of a lot of emphasis being put on the Islamic world and a lot more faithfulness, that's been reduced from 1.5 million per worker like us uh, uh, to 750,000. Imagine that. Only one worker for every 750,000 Muslim people. Uh, they're, they're starving for God. They're killing in the name of God. Uh, uh, they, they, they act the way they do because they have no access to mercy, to love, uh, to that fruit of the Spirit. And so God is doing a mighty work and they are having dreams and visions. And they, they, they'll say to me, and this is a quote, it was at midnight and I heard a voice saying to me, find Jesus, find the gospel. That's pretty clear. And that voice told him where to go, what door to knock on. And in the 13 million people that he lived among within his people group, we knew of three believers at that time and the Holy Spirit took him to the door of one of those believers who kept him for two weeks and led him to Jesus. That's what God is doing. Dreams and visions don't give you salvation. Dreams and visions get your attention and where your life was going in this direction will send your life in this direction. A lot of the Muslims who have dreams and visions, whether they can read or not read, they are going to one, two, and three countries looking for you all, looking for us, and finding a few stories about the Bible here, a few stories here, and it's a great day when they uh, get to watch the Jesus film, and, and, and they're taking, uh, 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 God is sending them dreams and visions. If they can read, they're reading the Bible three to five times, and then they are finding someone like Ananias was for Saul, like Philip was for the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, 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 like, like uh, Paul and Silas was for the Philippian jailer, sending someone to them, asking them, do you know what you're dreaming about? Do you know why you're experiencing what you're experiencing and bringing them into the kingdom of God? You know what I can do? It's great. Muslims, everywhere we go, when they hear this accent, they want to know where I'm come, where I'm from. They will welcome me to their country. Uh, uh, they will welcome me to their town. And when I show interest in their families, when I show interest in their life, it has never failed. After they have welcomed me into their society, within a week, Ruth and I and our team, our boys will be in their house for four to six hours eating some of the most marvelous food on this planet as they share stories from the Quran with us and we share our testimony and stories from the Bible with them. And it is just like having a spiritual birthday party. It's so much fun. It's so easy to do. It, 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 they are so welcoming if you get in their homes and have meals with them, have them in your house, have them tell their story, you tell God's story. And the only place where they're not coming to Jesus by the thousands are the places we don't go. Oh, please hear the words of the Lord. What, what's God doing in the marketplace? Ruth and I have been three, five places in, among low caste Hindus. Do you know there are hundreds of millions of them? Uh, 
Do you know among low caste Hindus, uh, there's one medically trained person for every two million low caste Hindus. My gosh. My goodness. You know what Jesus is doing? I met them. I learned from them. I spent weeks with them. There are these young men, uh, 26, uh, 30 years of age. Uh, they have left Hinduism and they've given their lives to Jesus and they're not going to keep Jesus to themselves. And they have found how responsive to the kingdom of God low caste Hindus are. So they're going to their villages that are so, so poor that they have no cash money. Everything is trade and bartered and, and shared. And they have one place where they share water uh, for one for the humans and one's for the animals. And, and you know what? I'm going to tell you a secret. Some of these people have two major trees in their village. And one tree you sit under and you tell the stories that start with once upon a time. You tell your fables and your fun stories. And the other tree is where you sit under when you do your business and you tell the truth. And when you go as a missionary and you learn language and culture, you'll find out which tree you're sitting under. Because you don't want to be under the fable tree. And so these young evangelists going by fours and sixes and eights, and they're saying, we have, we have news from the God. Oh, Hindus, they are so eager for more news from the gods. But they're saying, we have more information, more news from the God. And you have the millions of, of minor gods, and you've got six or eight major gods, but we've got news from the God. And, and they all sit down, the whole village will sit there, and they'll ask them, how many of you are sick? Everybody's hand will go up. They've got eye infections. They've got parasites. Uh, they, 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 they've got malaria. Uh, they've got leprosy. They've got every disease on earth. Because, I mean, there's one, uh, not even a doctor or a nurse necessarily, but one medical person for every two million of them. Oh, my goodness, folks. And they're asking them, how many of you are sick? And their hands are going up. Everybody, everybody's hands are going up. They're asking them, how many of you want to be healed? And, in, and their hands are going up. And they are inducing, introducing them to Jesus Christ and the stories of healing in the Bible. And they're walking among them. And Matthew 11, this day, will be uh, true among low caste Hindus for the first time in the history of their village as some evangelists who have come to love Jesus will walk among them and in Jesus' name, the blind receive sight, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poorest of the poor. Just like with Muslims, miraculous healings of your body Miracles of healing do not give you salvation, but open the door for you to talk about Jesus and how it says those many times, especially in the book of Luke, that he went out and he healed everyone in the market 
in those days and those women that followed him and those men that were his 12 disciples, they all were a part of this. This is what God is doing in the marketplace. And what we can authenticate is that 20 plus thousand low caste Hindus are coming up to Christ uh, uh, monthly. Not seen anything like it. And we've even gone back and talked to low caste Hindus who have gotten sick again and, and they are worse off than they were before. And, and, and now God has chosen not to heal them and they've kept their faith in Jesus Christ because they know what they needed the most was eternal life more than that physical healing. See what God's doing in the marketplace? Who wouldn't want to go witness that? Who wouldn't want to go to the next village and say, here's what God did in this village. Every Muslim that we have been in their homes that we, I've had tea with, coffee with, I only drink coffee as a witness, you know, otherwise I leave it alone. But uh, everyone I've gone to, I, I, can, I can say to them, I'm just a visitor. I don't speak Arabic uh, hardly at all. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God will send you a dream and vision. I'm gonna pray uh, that, that God will send you someone to tell you what that dream's about. I'm gonna pray uh, if I find out that they're literate, a person, that, that God uh, 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 puts a Bible in your hand. And you know what they'll do? They'll take steps away from me. And, and they've got fear and a little bit of anger on their face. And they'll say to me, how long have you been following me? Who have you been talking about that would know this? And I just say to them, as quietly as I can, as gently as I can, this is what God is doing with millions of Muslims. And what that does, see, they believe that they were the only one that God was speaking to. The only one that God had put the Bible in their hands. And what we do just by saying that little statement uh, puts them in a, a, a looking for a community of believers. And, and I'm saying to them, I'm going to do my very best if you will allow me to find someone uh, who, who is a local person who loves Jesus and, and can tell you so deeply who Christ is and I'll bring them to your home or you can come to my house and I'll bring them to my house and, and you all can talk because this is what God is doing. Everybody we could find, every church, house church we could find in East Asia prior to 1970 started with miracles of healing. And I asked them, well, what happened after 1970? They said, we, we, we got more believers. We, we got more Bibles in. We got more evangelists. And I said, well, what happened to the miracles of healing? They said, well they, well, they went away. No, they didn't go away. We found it to be true everywhere we went in East Asia, except uh, the miracles of healing were just a small part of their access to the kingdom of God because now they had traveling evangelists. There were house churches that they, they could rub up against. There were Bibles getting in in large numbers. But I watched, I watched, I watched where the man of God the, the pastor, the evangelist, they, they don't stay in the same place. They change uh, 
and, and they worship in different houses every week and sometimes multiple times over the week. They change the days of the week that they worship. They change the time of the day. 40% of them are in prison and they're trying to stay one step ahead of the bad guys. I watched them. I watched them set with their knees touching on that northeast border of East Asia into that country that is probably the most demonic place that, that we've ever been. Um, I'm just not going to put that on the air. And, and when... When a family or, or, or a group of people come to faith and they'll quietly talk about the kingdom of God in their house, in their apartment, and, and they'll tell the stories of the word of God and they'll discuss it. And then they get ready to sing. They move their chairs in close together and their knees touch and they begin to mouth the words of the song, but they don't let any sound come out. Because if singing is heard through the door the window through the paper thin wall of apartment, you can be sure that before you go to bed, the security police are going to be in your house and they're going to take whoever is the leader of that group and their life is forfeit. And they're going to take three generation of that leader's family and put them in a labor camp and they'll never come out of it. We've watched it. We've touched it. We've tasted it. We have wept over it and been broken by it. And then they asked me about you in East Asia. And I told them about this. And I told them about this pastor. Pastors like him. I told him about your music and your, your choirs and your praise band and the radio programs and the TV programs that, that praise God. And I thought they would clap and I thought they would dance and I thought they would say hallelujah. And they cried, broken. And I asked them, what's wrong with you? What did I say? What, I, what have I done to, to crush your spirit? And they said, you don't understand? I said, I don't have a clue. Ruth's not with me to tell me what I've done wrong. How would I know what I've done wrong? Right, guys? And, and, and they said, we've got to know, uh, Dr. Nick, why does God love his children in America so much more than he loves his children in China, in East Asia? And I was just broken. And they looked at me and they said, Dr. Nick, which is the greatest miracle that our pastors and our leaders move from house church to house church to house church and 40% of them are in prison now and you tell us that this man of God, if he wants to share about the kingdom of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he's not gonna go to jail, he's not gonna be beaten, He's not going to lose his job. He's not going to lose his family. He said, he said, you tell us he can preach 24 seven and nothing bad happens to him. We want to know Dr. Nick, which one is the greatest miracle? You've watched us set with our knees close together and we move our lips and we don't let any sound come out and you have choirs and you have praise team. You have Christian radio stations. You can interact with the kingdom of God on your television in all these ways. 
and, and, and we have to sit with our knees touching, moving our lips. We want to know, Mr. Dr. Nick from the seminary, which is the greatest miracle? You have access to medical care in your country 24 hours a day, and I can and I do. I have Christian surgeons that I can call from overseas and come home, and they take care of us and help us with God's help bring healing and then send Ruth and I and our family back out. And for them, they, they have just a one or two. I hope you can't hear that. But told me to stop. Excuse me. And, and they just, they just broke my heart when they, when, when, when they, when they describe uh, to me uh, all the things that they experience and all the things we get to do. And, 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 and I, I just wept. I just wept in the, in the midst of these leaders in East Asia because what have I called this thing that we call church? There's much in my early life, especially before we went overseas, where if I was to be honest, I, I thought this was normal. Everybody had it. In rural Kentucky, there's one on every street, every hill, every holler. And I thought it was normal. I, I thought it was common. And it, it, if you're in a conversation with me back then, and maybe with others from the church, we, 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 we would, we would, we, we, we would, Believe it, if we didn't say it out loud, this is what we deserve. This is what God owes us. And we have the right that, that, uh, to find the one that, that, that does what I want the most for me. And, and that's what I've done. I've called it common. I've called it normal. And I've been selfish about what it should do in regards to my needs rather than the world's needs. And as they looked at me and said, to me, Nick, which is the greatest miracle? And they held that mirror up to me. And I cried like a small child because what I have said about the people of God and the house of God. You see, I've tried to describe very quickly what God is doing in the marketplace around the world with Muslims, with Hindus, with, with East Asians. I've tried to open up that window. And you might have struggles. I did. I mean, I'm watching it and I have struggles with dreams and visions and God breaking into that. And they're seeing uh, Jesus clothed in white in a bright light with scars in his head, his hands, his side, and his feet. And they hear Jesus saying in their language, find me, find salvation, find the good news for your soul. And they're having to take three to five years going to two to three countries to find out what that dream, that vision, that Bible is saying to them because they're looking for us, but we're not looking for them. Not even across the streets in our towns, in our cities. They sent her to St. Louis. She got home before I got back from 
this long seven-week trip and found out how to get a hold of her. Ruth called her and brought this young lady who was God's best evangelist I'd ever met among, especially among women in the Islamic world. And she came and stayed with us in, uh, at the Baptist College that had provided us a house in rural Kentucky. And we took her to church for the first time. Can you imagine that? First time in her life. From in the midst of the Taliban, a month later, uh, she's in our house and we take her to church and she sits with us back here. And the service starts with a baptism of uh, a whole family, father, mother, daughter, uh, two, two teenage daughters and a 12-year-old son. And this young uh, uh, Muslim background believing lady a month or less uh, out of the Taliban, uh, out of re reaching uh, uh, over 30 women for, for Christ in one of the hardest places on the planet. She began to fidget and she began to sigh. She began to sort of rock and wring her hands. And I thought she was having a panic attack because she'd never been in a room where men and women are together, especially men and women that aren't married sitting together. And I thought it's just more than she could take. And and I just whispered to her, listen, it's okay. It's okay. You can go out. You don't have to stay. Ruth will go out with you and, and I'll come when the service is over. And she said in a loud stage whisper to where people could hear around us, she said, I can't believe it. You're telling me that a whole family is being baptized in public. Are you telling me that he's not going to be killed? The man that's doing that? Are you telling me that that father is not going to go to prison? Are you telling me they're not going to force his wife and daughters to marry Muslim men that are 40 and 50 years older than, than they are and, 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 and be locked in the house with his mother or under the authority of his first or second wife? Are you, are you telling me that nobody is going to jail? Nobody's going to be beaten? Nobody's going to be killed or locked up? She said, I think... Um, she said in this whisper, and people are looking at us, I think I'm going to stand up and shout. I said, stand up and shout, sister. If they kick you out, Ruth will go with you. And I wonder, why are we just sitting here? I don't know what you'll do with these dreams and visions and the healings among low caste Hindus. I, I can take you. You can see for yourself uh, that they're leading thousands of people in prison in East Asia. But, you know, maybe what you want to do is put that in a place, safe place, and trot it out later and think about it and pray about it. Because you don't know what to call all that that Nick's been talking about. What do you call this? What do you call this? Do you think this is normal within the kingdom of God, among the nations of the world? Do you think this is common? Do you really feel, if you were honest with yourself, that you think that the type of music, the pastor, the conditions, you know, all the stuff that you have is what we deserve and, and, and God and the church owes this to us? You see, what my prayer was 
in coming here this morning was let you look in the window of what Almighty God is still doing. He hasn't gone to sleep. He hasn't rested. That everything that God has done in the Bible, God's still doing. And I want to be a part of that. And I want you to be a part of that. And whatever you do with those miracles that I've told you about and how God is working in the marketplace, I'd like to know what you think about this. And we can say to you, the altar of God is open. And we can say to you, you can open the word of God in your house if you're single with whoever you, uh, you know, that roommate that you have or if you're married, children or not children, and you can open the word of God and you can pray and you can talk about the things of God and what he's doing in the world and you can open an altar of God that other people can watch it and share in and you can have them in your homes. What do you call this? The majority of believers in persecution would die for a miracle as great as this this morning. Hear the word of God. The altar of God is open for you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. We know that you don't love us more than you love your children in East Asia. But we know that you went to the cross. You loved us so much that you died for us. That we can access that unbelievable, miraculous love day after day, week after week. And it's a miracle known by few believers in the world. Oh, God. Oh, God. Let us choose to recognize and to praise you for the miracle that we have right now, this moment, in Jesus' name, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.